back here on What the Funk, we've got Sean Martins, the man over at Ironsight, building something big, one of the faster growing oil and gas tech companies. Sean showed me a demo of his product when I first launched Funk Futures about two and a half years ago. I was impressed. Uh, and certainly their trajectory and growth has spiked even since then. So we'll get into all of the Ironsight stuff. But most importantly, here on What the Funk, we talk about the personalities within the oil and gas space. Sean, you've got a big one. And I want to introduce you to the audience. So I'll just pose the question to you like I posed just about every guest I have. Who are you, Sean Martins? Yeah, so a couple of things I want to start right off the bat. The, uh, the man over at Ironsight, you know, I have partner Adam who... Uh, you'll get to know my personality. Uh, we're yin and yang. So I, I am this. He's the complete opposite. And that's nice. why we've been great partners and, and a, just a great team. So uh, I just had to clarify that. Uh, who, the, who the F is Sean Martins? Well, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm, a, I'm an electrician by trade, born and raised in a small oil field town. Uh, shout out to the guys in Cold Lake, all my buddies and, uh, you know, I, uh, I had the probably typical small town kind of upbringing, uh, you know, played hockey, played baseball, you know, a decent athlete growing up, you know, you graduate high school and you're like, okay, who am I? Well, I went and got a trade. So did the electrical uh, business for, you know, four, five, six, seven, eight years. I worked for, you know, a, uh, what they called PTW or pyramid back at the, the time. Uh, and then I worked for Chronicle Phillips for about seven years. So oh. I grew up kind of working for the supply side. Then I went to work for the demand side, you know, had a really good job working two weeks on two weeks off up in Northern Alberta. Uh, yeah. You know, so that, that kind of bringing, uh, you know, who else about me, you know, I'm i I'm a, I'm a definitely a people person. I love being around, you know, the team and, and uh, making these tough decisions and, and uh, you know, the challenges that come together. So I, I truly love that. Uh, personally, I got two little boys. So Luke, nice. And Levi, I've been on some other podcasts and said one of their names and maybe not the other, and so they'll uh, they'll dig this. So yeah, um, yeah, just just uh, yeah, I, I try to be a dad first, and then uh, you know trying to be a bit of an entrepreneur and and trying to to grow Ironside. So um, and that'd be secondly. Yep. That's a that's a tough balance, um, and I know I, I have three young kids. I guess I should say their names since you said Luke and Levi. I've got um, Ezra who's five. I've got Sydney who's eleven, and Julia who's thirteen. I'm not sure what you know about about Judaism, but I'm Jewish, and my thirteen year old daughter Julia she's having her bat mitzvah this weekend. So this is like a wedding. I got all my family in town, my wife's family in town. She's going to read from the Torah. She's going to give like a speech. She's going to have a 140 person party tomorrow. So this is like my last bit of work. If you even call podcasting work, I don't, uh, before it gets really, really deep with the family stuff, but, but I'm with you, man. I'm a, I'm a family man first. Um, I think I say that so that I can believe it, but it feels like sometimes I'm actually a family man second. Uh, just because of all of the demands of entrepreneurship and, and running my own business and, and the case of where I'm at right now, businesses, which kind of irks at me a little bit, sort of feel like if I had uh, no kids or, or even wasn't married, what would I care? Like, what would an 80 hour work week be then? It would just be fine. Like, what else am I supposed to do? Right. But yeah. with kids, there's always sort of that pull. And, and I know you travel a lot, right? Are you based in Edmonton today? Yeah, I'm in Edmonton today. Uh, that's where home base is. And yeah. Uh, yeah, I spend about, you know, 50, 60% of my time kind of all over. As, as we've grown out the team, it's 
it's shrinking and, and it will a little bit more, but yeah, I, I could touch on like what, how I see with my kids and, you know, we've yeah. been, uh, you know, charity, my ex and I, we have a really great relationship and, um, we, we, you know, we're great co-parents, but we've been honest with our boys and just said, you know, this is what we need to do. And, you know, yeah. this is what I enjoy and I love it. But I, I find, you know, for me, the kids have given me kind of purpose. So when it is tough times and it, when it is, you know, like it gives me the drive, the purpose of like, okay, this is why I'm doing this. Um, not only I do it for my teammates and, you know, our, our, our employees and our clients, you know, I have a very big bias, our clients, but yeah, first and foremost, I kind of, you know, I get to think about Luke and Levi and the boys and, you know, I, I work very hard for them so that, Hey, yeah. one day, you know, they, at least they can have something to admire to. Yeah. 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 Dad's, dad's doing something big out here, you know, and that's, yeah, there's, not there's to take a risk. definitely, definitely that too. And, and your risk is starting to pay off. We'll get into that. Luke and Levi, right? So how old are they? Yeah. Luke is 11 and Levi is nine. Yeah. Two boys. So they must love, you know, Connor McDavid and playing hockey and all that, all the stuff that you did growing up too. But for you, was it Gretzky and Messier or were you a little bit too young for that? Yeah, I was a little bit too young. I mean, they're uh, like Gretzky's, I think, a, a god to all of us up here in the north. Yeah, um, yeah my, I was more of a, like Doug Waite, if there's some Oiler yeah. fans out there back in the day. Uh, yeah, big fan. But yeah, Luke and Levi, would, they love Connor and – and uh, Leon and all the all the fellows up here. Yep, I I love Canada. I like Western Canada a lot. You know, a little bit about me that you might not know. I'm actually from New Hampshire, so I grew up um, just a little bit south of the Canadian border um, onto Quebec. So Montreal for me was only about two hours and forty five minutes, whereas Boston was about two hours. So mm-hmm. sometimes when you'd be listening to like a, a Bruins game or something, you'd be getting like the French feed from Montreal on the radio because it would nice. come in more more clearly. So I grew up, you know, definitely hating the Canadians, not really particularly enjoying the way I was treated when I would go up to Quebec. So my view of Canada was a little bit skewed. I'm like, well, they don't like us here. Then you go to Alberta, right? I went to Calgary for the first time in 2009. And man, everybody was so warm. It felt a little bit like Denver. Um, I got to go to the Saddle Dome, which is just a weird place uh, for, <laughs> for a hockey game. Terrible and, hockey team too, so. <laughs> a little bit. But it was it was awesome. It was it was really fun and, and definitely a different type of warmth. So I, I have a kinship, I think, with Canadians in part. I, where I grew up, it was very cold. A lot of people played hockey. There was a bog right behind my house that was basically a mini pond that froze, and the locals would bring down their you know their skates and their goals and actually skate on the pond and, and play hockey, which um, I'm sure you can relate to. But there's there's a, a work ethic I think that comes from people who grow up in a cold place like you do right? You're, you're just not in the house all day. You just sort of get up, you pull yourselves up by your bootstraps and and you get moving. And I don't think that's personified anywhere more than being in oil and gas. So, so talk to me a little bit about what it was like being an electrician, going out in some brutally cold climates and actually having to like operate um, machinery, like in the field, like what, what an indoctrination into like blue collar work. Talk, talk about what that was like at a young age when you're doing like real work out in the field in the freezing cold. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'll probably start with like, if I was the world's best electrician, I'd probably still be doing that. I would have figured out yeah. something there. <laughs> the path has taken me to here. So uh, yeah, I, like 
I always had a good work ethic and, you know, I was a good body. I was always, you know, but maybe I wasn't the world's best electrician and, and I'm okay with that. Got the job done. Yeah. Like, um, I started a snowblowing business when I was like 15, went okay. and snowblowed driveways and, uh, I just, I just enjoyed it. I, I you know, I, I enjoy being outside in the, and then I umped ball in the summertime. So I always kind of was always doing something. Uh, yeah, I, I would tend to agree. There's a different lifestyle, you know, working, being able to work outside and, um, using your hands and figuring all that stuff out. So yeah, I, I it was different, but yeah, I think it takes me back to my roots all the time. And I think, you know, when we talk about iron sight, that's usually like our roots are that. So we, we understand yeah. a bit of the problem and, um, yeah, I, I, I don't I don't regret it one bit. Uh, working minus thirty Celsius, uh, you know, you're out changing a skater pack. It's not the funnest thing in the world, but <laughs> hey, it's uh, it, it got me to where I am today, and and it's made me fairly rounded. I have a diverse background, and yeah, fun to apply it here at Ironsight. I think you probably have a different appreciation for the the supplier side of your, of your platform, right? Um, definitely saying, well, I've done this before. And and then you worked on the operator side. So you know what some of the pains are for that. So talk to me a little bit about the idea of Ironsight and and where that came from. I think you said you're an electrician for, I don't know, five, six, seven, eight years. And then you, uh, started working for ConocoPhillips, I guess, on the, on the operator side. Um, when did you get this idea? Was was this while you were working at ConocoPhillips and you're like, you know, I think that there's something out here that's missing. Um, bring me through the genesis a little bit of where the Ironsight idea came from and then how you turned idea into practice and execution. Sure. Yeah. So, yeah, you're right. I, uh, I, I was like a, on the electrician tools for about eight years. Uh, I worked for, like I said, Pyramid or PTW, as some people in the industry would know them. And then, uh, you know, went to work for Conical Phillips up at their Sermont asset, their big SAG D kind of stuff mm-hmm. up in Northern Alberta, Canada. And then, uh, yeah, you're right. So I moved into the office as like, they called it like a maintenance planner coordinator. So what did I do? I just looked after, you know, work that needed to be done. I was kind of the, you know, the interface between operations. So I got to learn a lot about that side and learn a lot mm-hmm. about the maintenance side. And then you get into a bit more of budgeting and some costs. And yeah, so you learn that. Anyways, I, it was probably, I'm, I'm going to paint the pictures like, oh, it was a, you know, a minus 40 evening, Friday night, sitting up at Sermont in camp and boom, it came to me. Not really, but, uh, you know, it, it kind of, yeah, it came from that. We, we spent, you know, we implemented a big ERP system. Uh, I was still finding like we spent, you know, 10, 15% of our budget just administrating our budget, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. So again, <laughs> that didn't make sense to me, but, you know, that's what needed to be done. And, you know, we learned a lot. And then, yeah, I, I said, like, we, man, we spent a lot of time just calling and, and guessing, hey, I think that vac truck's going to show up or, hey, that maintenance crew, I think you're going to be there. Or, hey, what did you do over there? Did you write it down? Yeah, well, I can't even read your handwriting. So there's that thought. Let's keep that in our mind. The, and then the other part was like Uber came out, right? So a lot of our thesis was off of Uber. So a $10 cab ride, you could order, track, pay, seamless, great experience. You know, when demand came up there, like, so it worked on both sides of the equation. Um, yeah. And then we, how did we apply it? Well, Adam and I, so this is when we came together in 2015, 2014, we, uh, we, we started a service company. So like entrepreneurial guys, and we wanted to do that, but 
before we even bought a truck or any kind of asset, we actually built an app for our own internal company. So yep. fast forward today, that's what it is. But then this is how it started. So we wanted our clients, and this is how we were going to gain market share. And, you know, eventually we did a bit. It's so like they could go onto our app, order us. You know, we were, we could easily dispatch, take the job, drag it onto the truck. The, the workers would get it. We streamlined communication. You know, you could, you could put a, at the time, take a picture of a ticket on there. So it's like really simple. Our clients were happy. They had a good experience. And then we went. So we did that. Uh, for three, four years. And then a couple of our clients just said, hey, we like your service, but we actually like your software more. Mm. Um, so we're like, okay, well, we looked into it. We kind of looked into the market and there was, you know, there's a million field ticketing softwares totally. out there. We, we don't totally. disagree. And there's good product out there. There's a, there's a lot of ERP systems. So on the demand side, there's a big systems that they need to use. You know, there's payment stuff, but there was nothing really connecting demand and supply for field execution. You know, fast forward here to today, and uh, that, that's what we're focused on, Jeremy. And um, yeah, we, 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 we've focused in even more on like specific five points of the workflow that we're really good at, and then we can integrate into these other systems. So, do I have so many questions? That, that was a really good high level explanation, but I want to I want to pull it back even a little bit more. So, within Ironsight, which is an app that basically people can download onto their their phones. Right. You got Android, you, you got Apple. Is it a computer like web app as well? You bet. Yeah. So it's it's a it's a platform is what we call it. And it's got uh, web capability for all your scheduling and all that. And then, yeah, of course, like all the it's available on uh, iOS or Android in the basic native app. Yeah. And you, you've built a marketplace and, and a marketplace, of course, by nature means that you have multiple sides to it, which makes it even a little bit harder to then sell um, to the market. So who do you sell your product to? Do you sell this to operators and say, hey, we've got the service companies, we can easily onboard them. Um, we sell this to you and you guys use this as your sort of tool of, of needs when you need something in the field? Or do you sell it to the, the field services company and say, hey, here's an app where you can start to digitize your field tickets and send that over to the operators? Or is it yes, like it's all of that? Yeah, no, no, it, it, look, it, it's, it's no to a lot of that, but then we'll, I'll, I'll lead it into it. Okay. So, you know, we sell to the operators first and foremost. Um, that was always been our strategy. So to be very, very clear, you know, they tell us who to onboard. So that's a misconception. I think that people say like, oh, well, you know, like I can go get Ironside, get a bunch of more work. Well, yeah, you can in the future. And this is, I'll tell you about that. But yeah, first and foremost operator, they tell us what, what we sell to them is hey, we're not replacing any, anything. You're not doing anything different. You're still going to yeah. need to request services. You, you schedule them, you execute it. You need to document field ticket disposal, whatever, whatever. And then you need to get that data and integrate it into like all these end systems. So yes. we now provide that platform that connects your input systems to your output systems. And we do that by implementing a request schedule, execute, document and integrate workflow. So workflow, that's what we sell. That's what we do. Now, again, we've, we've been on the demand side. Now, over the last couple of years, we figured out and we'll say, hey, you know, we want to give something to the supply side. So they come on for free by the demand, but now we're able to go and say, hey, do you need an integration out of Ironsight into this? Hey, do you want to use Ironsight for non-operator, like operators that who are, aren't our clients? Do you want to still dispatch and have one platform? Yeah, we would love that. So Jeremy, that's what we're doing now. Um, awesome. We're monetizing and, and also bringing value 
So you come on for free, but you're going to get, if you want to use it for more, you can. And uh, yeah, heavily focused on, on bringing those two together. That's really cool. And I think it's a, it's a sound model. Um, and I want to talk sort of about some of the consortium plays that you've made, which to me are, are really interesting that um, Ben Scheiman and others described around like, you know, produced water and how you guys handle that. I think that's potentially very disruptive. Um, and it's really forward thinking and tells me that you listen to your, to your customers. So do, do you have clients, I get fundamentally how your product works for oil and gas, right? You, you have the operator, you have your service provider, operator puts, uh, you know, a job yep. out on the platform, service company grabs it, and then you can track everything related to that. If you're the operator, makes perfect sense to me. Do you also have like non-oil and gas clients? Because it seems like there's other municipalities, industries where they say, okay, yeah. I got a job, I need help. They can still use Ironsight, right? Like you're not just confined to the, the oil field. Yeah, definitely not. Like we definitely see the, since it is everything we do is based on a workflow, like you're right in a municipality, they need to order a load of gravel to go build a road. Like it's no different. Um, I would say that Ironsight, we're, we're very focused on energy, oil and gas. Yeah. Uh, it's where it's our, it's our background. So, you know, we don't want to be that company, you know, look fast forward two years that tried to do everything and like, ah, uh, like, no, we're, 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 there's a big market there for us. Um, you know, we're, we're based out of Canada, but we, we've, we've grown into the U S uh, we have some major operators in the, in the Permian and, and the Bakken and the DJ use in Ironsight. So yeah, though we maybe will get there, uh, the next couple of years, Jeremy, we have, we're really focused on energy, oil and gas and, you know, connecting demand and supply. So yeah. Because you've really just started tapping into that, right? I mean, how many yeah. thousands of oil and gas companies are there versus how many customers you guys have? Like, there's there's so much more that you guys could do. And I think your momentum is growing. I want to peel it back a little bit on um, the last guest that I had on this show was, well, I'm not sure what order these are going to be released, but Jimmy Sebastian, who is the chief product officer at Seven Lakes Technologies, where I yeah. worked for about four years and really got my first exposure to selling products to the field. We had an iPad-based field data capture product for lease operators, for pumpers. And the best sales that we used to get was you'd have a couple of these pumpers, literally, going out to a well and then taking a break. And on their break, the guy's inputting information into the iPad and another pumper sees him and says, hey, what are you doing? I just write this stuff down and then I drop it off at the doghouse at the end of the day. Like, I don't understand. What, what, what is that? Yeah, it's like this Seven Lakes thing. Our our VP of production said that we should use it. And it's actually pretty cool. Like this is the SCADA stuff. So then they come to us and they're like, hey, I'd like to order um, your FDG product. I'm like, no one's ever actually done that before. But okay, you just want to order yeah. it? <laughs> like, yeah. but they're like, no, I already got it. Like I could demo it to my team today. Fundamentally, I get it. I'm like, oh shit. Okay. So maybe we need to be selling this more in the field. Have you guys seen that happen a little bit where people are literally using Ironsight in the field and then somebody from a different company hanging out at a, you know, at a bar or restaurant or diner says, Hey, what is that? And then all of a sudden you get a call from them. Yeah. I'll, I'll give you our best uh, example of that for sure. So like I said, we onboard demand, they, they bring on supply supplies, you know, we work really hard to, for them to like it, it's not, it's yeah. changed. So there's always a bit of hesitation, but we're seeing about 70% of those, you know, supply coming on saying, yeah, I'm excited for this and I, I want to do it. So they 
and I'm saying they as suppliers and fluid haulers and water haulers, like they are going to the demand to these producers and saying, hey, you should like, we do this old school. Nice. These guys are digitizing us for XYZ Oil Co. And like all we have to do is push submit and they're doing it. Now they're going to selling it for us. That's so awesome. we actually we actually work with them being supply and say, hey, you know, for doing that, we'll give you an integration into your QuickBooks account for free. If you help us, you know, nice. we'll close this account. So we're not hiding that. That's the, we believe why is that good? Because it just brings value on both sides. And if they see it, they, they, who's a better salesperson? Sean, who, yeah, right. Like he, he's from Canada, talks like a goof and yeah, okay. He's another slick sales guy. kind of. Or like, you know, the owner of a trucking company in, in Carlsbad who does all of their water hauling. And he, like, I think there's some validation there. So totally. we see, that's kind of our, our strategy go forward. Um, we're early stages for that strategy, but the flywheel effect, that's what we kind of call it. And, and uh, we're Got loving it. it. The flywheel yeah. effect. And, and to me, that is like, if, if that started to happen for you, you're, you're at an inflection point. Cause like how many nights did you, did you go to bed saying, man, we're going to get to the point where people out in the field are going to start recommending us. And now it's happening. Right. So it's sort of like, you should take a moment to appreciate that, Sean. That's, that's a big deal. And it takes time to get there from when you built the product, got your first clients using it, got multiple people using it. And now all of a sudden you've got like a real, a real sense of adoption on the field as these people are, you know, they're recommending it to their friends, but they're also leaving companies, going to a new company and saying, Hey, we're going to bring this on. This is yeah. part of my toolkit. Like I did with Salesforce, like I first used Salesforce. Do you guys use Salesforce or HubSpot or, or Dynamics? HubSpot, right? yeah. yeah. HubSpot, which has made a pretty good dent in the market. For me, it was Salesforce. My first day in an office doing an inside sales job when I was making 85 phone calls a day, they're like, hey, here's Salesforce. Log in here and track all your calls. Like, that's <laughs> what I was indoctrinated into as a, you know, a 23-year-old sales guy in 2003. And then I got to the point where I'd be brought on to lead sales at companies and be the first sales guy. The first call that I made was to Salesforce because I, that's how I knew how to run my business. Right. And I think that that type of growth is what you need. It's yeah. less of the push, push and more of the, um, it's, of the it's coming. I think it's coming in our space, like that field execution, you know, the, yeah. you know, that digital, there's all, there's so much buzz around it, but like it's coming over the next three, four, five, ten 10 years. I, I believe it's gonna take a bit of time to do it, but yeah, I, I think we position ourselves decently well. Now there's always struggles and you wanna build more and you gotta do more with like, but uh, yeah, no, I, I believe that. And it's, it's, uh, that, it is a good feeling for sure. We're early innings of it, but uh, excited about it, yeah. The, even just the digitization part of the process, I've had, you know, Stephen Toops from, from Ironsight and Spirit Data guys and people who play more, you know, less with the operators, more on the um, traditional like field ticketing side with services yeah. companies. Those guys have come on and said, you know, what percentage of field tickets alone are even digitized? And it's probably like 25, 30%, which tells me like, yes, we're in like the top of the second inning right now, even just for digitization of yeah. the field. Um, and if you're getting this level of demand and, and people, you know, buying from you now, the, the future does look bright. Talk to me a little bit about two things. One, are you just North America focused? Like you've got the Canadian market, you, you've come down here into the US and what is this whole like water consortium that's going to bring full sure. basins together on your platform? Yeah, let's talk about that first. So we call it water CNX. Um, yeah. If you didn't hear the first part of the podcast, you understand that we go for demand and supply 
and they can interact and we have this collaborative future. Well, when we were building this out for the last couple of years, so, you know, Adam's been really focused on that. Well, it kind of came to us that like, why can't an operator? So demand, talk to another demand. And we said, yeah, no problem. Honestly, it's like a line of code, flip it and they can interact and share. We always thought there'd be a different way to apply it, but like sharing, you know, water trucks or sharing, uh, you know, logistics and like, you know, tubing hauling and, and, hot shots, which is coming and we're excited about that. But this water consortium, a couple of our clients came to us and said, well, why can't we just post something and say, Hey, I got a million extra barrels for, you know, produce water. I need to get rid of it. Well, you know, operator down the street, I, I need that. And they can just go on and it's pretty simple. So we get called, they, they being the, that consortium we're working with, they call it the Craigslist of water. Yeah. We call it obviously water CNX, but it is that simple. So, Hey, I got to get, I got excess capacity for disposal, post it. Hey, I got, I, I got extra water for frack, post it. Hey, I need water up in this county in, in the Permian, post it. Uh, now they don't need to call. Like this was happening, Jeremy, like by email and calls and spreadsheets. And now they just go onto our insight onto what we call our field view. So it's like a map of everything. And they right click, they post and uh, Craigslist of, of water, if you might. And now it's evolving into, you know, even more and more, but, uh, you know, imagine tying that into your trucking and disposals and locations. So like we're creating that digital, you know, marketplace out there. Yeah. Really good idea. Is anybody else doing that? I know there's lots of ticketing and dispatching and bidding companies out there, but is anybody yeah. else doing this water type consortium thing? So this consortium that we've worked with is a bunch of operators. Uh, I think in the past they've approached companies with similar, like similar functionality, uh, what to our knowledge, no, there might be somebody out there working on it behind. We don't know, but you know, we have yeah. some pretty big operators and, and uh, bringing on more and more midstream and bringing on some more folks there. So um, not to my knowledge and, and, and at the core of what all of our, this consortium, all the groups have said to us is like, Hey, make it simple, make it easy for us to use because you're competing against like a spreadsheet, which we don't like. We obviously want to do something. So yeah, that's, that's what uh, I'd say our differentiator is. That, well, kudos to you. This is interesting stuff to me because if I think about an oil and gas company and what's important to them, it's this isn't their secret sauce, right? They're, they're going to end up with produced water no matter what. They're going to need that water to, to inject down hole um, for fracks. So this is it, – it's not threatening to them. Right. Sometimes they want to keep things secret from other operators. This is not one of those things. So I think you've kind of cracked the code on that. I'm curious to see what else you do from a, a consortium standpoint, but that's sort of like a basin by basin approach, right? You don't just get yeah. one or two in the Bakken and say, all right, now we're going to the Permian. You got to get everybody in the Bakken. Like you got to yeah. get everybody in the Eagleford. You got to make sure that these companies are really talking to each other and using it to the point that, all right, it's not just two posts on Craigslist, it's a dozen. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So we're heavily focused Permian, Midland and Delaware. Um, you're right. Like, I won't lie. I've been pretty impressed and blown away that like these big operators are all willing to do it. It's because you're right. Like it's not a hidden secret. It's not anything yeah. like it's, it's better for the industry. And that, and if you talk to a few of the folks that have been working with, like, this is the right thing to do for the industry where we don't, if we can share and, and dispose of produced water, then we'll, we'll do it together and, and reuse it. So yeah, super excited. It, it's yeah, I'm, I'm, I've been impressed. Um, but yeah, no, you're right. We're, we're, we'll, we'll be rolling it out to Eagleford and the Bakken and DJ, but 
heavily focused in the Permian. That's just where, you know, the biggest problem lies. So, um, and, and just kind of the regulations allow it to happen. So, yeah. Well, speaking of regulations, that's actually, I'm glad you mentioned that word because that's a fairly good segue. Um, do you guys get involved in the the idea around like ESG? Is that a question that comes up with you guys? How does your app make companies more sustainable? Like I fundamentally get how if you route um, a service worker more efficiently, then you are creating less emissions. I think there's something behind that. But but is like, do you get questions around how is this ESG friendly, especially as you work with these larger companies? Yeah, for sure. I, I think uh, if we stick to what we're like the core of what we are, it, it's just a, again a byproduct and a great byproduct. So I'll, I'll tell you that. Um, if we make things more efficient, both on the demand and supply, you're going to ultimately have, and it's proven, you're going to have less people out there. So we really focus on like scope three emissions. So you know, a truck moving around, we we can we know how many miles they've traveled and or kilometers in whatever country we're in. Uh, yep. and, and, and then you can convert that to like, okay, we've had this much emissions today, you benchmark it, and then you can tell over time, you know, what the difference is. Yeah, we're, so we're starting to get into that world. Um, but just, I think being more sustainable, like we all know that it's a tough world out there, even at, you know, what, what are we at today at $80 oil? Like it's yeah. still a very difficult market out there. And, and, uh, you know, utilization for us is the name of the game. So better utilizing the assets you have will in turn make you more sustainable, longer right. future, less emissions. So let's, we don't try to pretend that we're this big, you know, you know, ESG buzz company. We're focused on what we, our core we do, a byproduct of what we do is, is making it more sustainable and, and lower emissions. So, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's within the the margins, right? It's, it's part of what you do. I think the main thing of what you do is, is helping companies reduce lifting cost and, and create more efficiency and really create some competition, right? Within the field, like who, who's going to be the, the service company that wants this job the most, because now it's more publicly facing um, fundamentally makes a lot of sense to me. When, when you think about three, four, five years from now, what, what does that look like for, for Ironsight? And, and maybe that's a tough question to answer, but you know, maybe you didn't have this water CNX idea, um, you know, in in your head or in the app until recently. But where do you kind of see things going without revealing your secret sauce? Like, what does your company look like in five years? Yeah, I mean, if we have to wave a wand and say, where do we want to be? I think uh, you know, we would, we want to be the de facto. This is how you execute work in the future. It's clean. It's simple. It uh, it's you can use it as a portal into your other end systems your accounting, right? The payment pros, yeah. like, so yeah, like that's really where we see ourselves going. Um, do I see ourselves Uberizing the Permian? Potentially, I think yeah. uh, having a world where like, where you have demand and supply onto it. Now, we're also very, very well aware how oil and gas works. And, you know, you, you got to have contracts, you got to have MSAs or safety regulate. Like, so we're all into that. Um, but we're looking at ways how that can happen. And, you know, again, without revealing too much, like we really do see an opportunity where you could just go onto a platform and you, your approved vendors are there, drop a job onto them. They, uh, they go to work and, and like the payment processing is just flawless. And it, it yes. ends in, up into your SAPs or ends into whatever end systems, you know, those clients use and the suppliers are getting paid quicker. And probably most importantly, like the, it's not as administrative as it is today. So yeah. yeah. 
you know, so, so you're, you're saying on both sides of the platform, companies will come for the utility and then eventually they'll stay for the network. They'll stay for the marketplace because there's benefit for them beyond what the initial (laughs) scope of why they bought it was there for. That's, that's really neat. Um, And I think that's, it's admirable, right? You're, you're giving some of these companies ideas. And for those that had ideas, you're actually giving them a platform to execute on this. Talk a little bit about what it's like selling to a mom and pop shop versus what it's like selling to a major. Like you're, you're dealing with everybody, right? This is not just majors. I know that you guys have kind of waved the flag around some of the majors you've done work with, which is awesome. But what is that like in terms of length of sales process, going through some of the red tape versus what it's like for a mom and pop, or is it surprisingly similar? Yeah, uh, it's been interesting. Like we, we, we've seen, like, like you said, we work with some of the biggest oil companies in the world and, uh, you know what? I, I don't sit here and complain about a sales process. It's actually, they just make you better. So yeah. they make sure you can show value and not just talk about it, but demonstrate it in proof of concepts in, you know, endless, you know, conversations. So yeah, it's, it's, it can be challenging and you got to wherewithal and you got to have the process super excited that we're bringing on good people over the last, you know, we've had good people and we've moved on from some people, but you know, we've learned from everything over the last couple of years. Uh, so, so yeah, excited about that on the, on the big, you know, the bigger uh, oil company side and then the mom and pops. Yeah. Like I'll give you a, a good story. It's uh, it's minus 35 again in the wintertime a couple of years ago. And uh, we went to a, an outfit, a mom and pop kind of owner operator trucking company. We had to go onboard them. And then they wanted actually, like they use QuickBooks. They wanted to take their tickets out of Ironside, put it into QuickBooks. This is early days when we were doing that. So we went out and talked to them and they had two massive, massive, um, like great Dane dogs that we had to go do this <laughs> demo and training to. And they're like, we're in the kitchen of this mom and they got the trucks like outside idling. It's the end of the day. So they're like, it was, uh, it was interesting. Now that poses challenge as well, because, you know, change and, you know, oh, our clients are making us do this. So we don't really want to do right. it. Oh so, yeah. Like we try to go there, show value uh, that, Hey, you know, we're not replacing any kind of workflow. We're actually just going to put it on a platform and, and, uh, but yeah, we, and we've seen a couple of flip phones out there. So that's interesting, you know, tough nice. to download an app when you're doing that. And, um, all of that in between, Jeremy. So we've been in the, the high rises of Houston and, uh, you know, the, the, in Hinton, Alberta. But I honestly can tell you and anybody that knows me, like, I love that. I love being able to work yeah. doing that. And that's the challenges. And, and as we grow out our team and, you know, we are definitely adding some quality people. It, we're going to have to, you know, you're going to have to specialize a bit more. But um, that's, I, I, that's what gets me up out of bed for sure is, is those challenges. So. That, well, that's awesome. In terms of like, I mean, you, you mentioned like some turnover and candidly, like a lot of that is just startup life, man. Like there's a pace to a startup and the demands, especially from investors early on and from the leadership like you and Adam, that everything needs to happen. It has to happen fast. And that's just Mm -hmm. not how it works. You can be like a cog in a wheel at a bigger company. That's not how it goes in a startup. There's all eyes are on you. And I think that requires just a certain type of person, certain type of mindset that, that's willing to take ownership um, in what they're doing. It's an, it's an ownership mindset that helps these startups get to the next level. And I think, candidly, it's why some companies fail. Like, you have to have lived it. And you guys are living it. You've lived it since 2015. 
you know, good on you for that. All right, I'm going to put you on the spot real quick. I like to do this. I didn't prep you for this in any of the questions, but I like to put you on the hot seat, ask some questions, yeah. we'll have some fun here, and, and I want your kind of quick, real quick response on this. All right, who wins the Stanley Cup in 2024? Edmonton Oilers. Really? Okay. If goaltending holds up, I th- if goaltending holds up, I think we're in a really good spot. It feels like it's their time, or their time is coming, and it also feels like somebody from Canada is supposed to win soon too. So there's that. <laughs> uh, yeah, let's hope. <laughs> yeah, right. Who uh, who's the greatest hockey player of all time? I think the right answer is Wayne Gretzky. My favorite's Bobby Orr for sure, or Gordy Howe even. I think uh, they all bring different something different. You know, I asked the same question to Paul Ritchie of uh, Osperity out of Calgary, and he said, Bobby Orr, no hesitation. So that makes yeah, me feel yeah. good. You see what's behind me with all the Boston stuff. That, yeah. So you're getting into my heart. You're selling me now, Sean. I like <laughs> it. Um, uh, another question. So let's talk Fahrenheit, right? Do you prefer 50 below in Red Lake, Alberta, or? Cold Lake. Cold Lake. Cold. Okay. Cold Lake. Cold Lake. Let's see. 40 below in Cold Lake, Alberta, or uh, 140 degrees in Pecos, New Mexico? Ooh, yeah, uh, it's end of August. I was just down there, and like this, it's, I take the cold. The humidity kills the guy. If you're not around it a lot, I guess I'm used to the cold, so I I can survive in there. But uh, man, oh man, that humidity, it's in Houston especially. But you said New Mexico. I, yeah, it would be cold over hot for me. Yeah, me too. I, I was just talking about this to to some people around here the other day. Like, I grew up in, in extreme cold, so I'm always good with putting on more layers. You get to the point with the heat, you don't have any more layers to take off. Right? Exactly, so exactly. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the extreme cold um, if I could. Let's uh, – l- let me ask you one more, Right. In terms of, of your growth path, your next five, ten hires, are they going to be in the United States? Are they going to be overseas? Are they going to be in Canada? Where, where's your next hire, set of hires going to be living? Uh, the, we have a plan, definitely. I, I, I would say we just recently hired somebody yesterday in the U.S. Congrats. Uh, I would say it's uh, hmm, a f- two-thirds – us focusing a bit more on some customer success and you know account people um yeah and then canada uh overseas we have a we're looking at some partnerships okay. and uh we're working at two fairly large deals that would uh you know change it a bit so yeah if i had to break it down percentage wise that'd be easier for me so let's go 60 percent us 20 percent canada and then uh, 20% unknown or other. Well, that's, that's pretty cool. Showing growth. And now, just like on a personal level, right? I mean, I know you work a lot. You spend time with the boys. What do you like to do when you're not working, you're not hanging out with the kids? What, what floats your boat? Uh, yeah, like a huge sports guy. Lo- like love ball, played up, growing ball. Um, love watching ball. So do a lot of that with my sons and then just also um, internally kind of on the MLB side. Uh, Golf, used to golf a lot before kids, you know, you can't do everything. So that was probably one thing that dropped. 
starting to get back into it a little bit. I uh, don't mind swinging the sticks. Uh, yeah, like probably lost touch with the, some key friends and, you know, just trying to, you know, get back into that. And it, it's nothing in the bad way, just life. So I've been focusing on that this summer and, you know, trying to get grounded a bit and, and uh, miss some of the guys I grew up with and spending time with them. So, uh, yeah, sports, friends, family, uh, pretty typical guy that way. Yeah, a lot, and a lot of work. I, I get it, man. Work, work can Yeah, and, and I love what I do. So, like, you know, people's fun on a Tuesday night when they put the kids to bed is, you know, do whatever. I, I really enjoy going and thinking about our next steps and prepping for the next big call. And I so it's my passion and I love it. So Good no regrets. You. There's there's like I was talking to my wife about this. There's like there's like three things that I really like to do, right? And and I'll I'll just be very general about it. I like to I like to work, right? I like to build businesses. I like to spend time with my family. And then I like to do something sports related. We'll call it golf. There's simply not enough time to do all three. You kind of have to pick two of the three, right? So you see a lot of people that are like really good at golf. It's like, well, to me, you're probably sacrificing one of the two other things. That's right. right? Yeah. And if I'm going to sacrifice something at this stage, it's probably going to be the sports. Like it's going to be golf. It's going to be softball that gets put to the side because my kids and family need me and my businesses need me. And there's really just not a lot of room for everything else. Right. Like you, yeah. you can't do, you can't do everything, yeah. I guess, unless you only sleep like 40 hours a week, which. Yeah. So you, I guess I, I live now. I, I'm okay with not being a scratch golfer. I'll go out and, you know, I'll shoot whatever. And, and, uh, and I, and I actually enjoy golf, like being out there, not even so much like the competition anymore. And uh, yeah, it's just, you can't do it all and got to be okay with it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, of those three, right. You pick two and then maybe that shifts. Maybe you sell your company, make a hundred million dollars one day or something. And you can go play as much scratch <laughs> oh, golf as you want oh, with, man, your, yeah. with your family. Um, final question I have for you, Sean. Um, and this is one thing that I really like to ask entrepreneurs. And, and one thing I think about a lot is like, what advice would you have for your younger self? Like you at 21, 22 years old, anything that stands out, like what you would tell, what would you recommend to Sean Martins as a 21, 22 year old guy? Oof. Yeah. Like I would say, uh, if you make a decision, do it like it's your, uh, it's your final one. So, you know, we've been kind of for a while there, you know, you, it's very uncertain and we had to balance cause we had kids in life, but, uh, the incident that Adam and I, you know, come 2017, 18, uh, like committed into this, it, it just, it becomes your passion and your love and it just can't fail. So yeah, I'd say like, if you're going to make a decision, think about it thoroughly. And when you do make it, like make it, think about it, like it's going to be your last decision. So uh, that's what I would say. I love it. And I, I do think that's a big thing. And frankly, that's a big thing with people in podcasts too. I can't tell you how many people have started podcasts and done eight, 10, 12 episodes and they just stopped doing it because they expect some sort of like immediate results from it. It's going to help me get sales. It's going to help me get exposure. I'm going to grow my follower count by a thousand. Well, when that doesn't happen, then what, right? I yeah. kind of set my mind to it. Like I'm going to do this at all costs. I'm going to set things aside. I'm going to do this an hour, two hours a week and continue doing it because I know that the value will be there sort of in the, in the long run, but it takes commitment. And people will ask me, they say, Hey, you like to podcast, you put out 140 episodes or whatever you've done. Like what advice do you have? And I just say, like, like make a commitment to it the same way you commit to anything else that you're going to do. Take yeah. a shower, brush your teeth, yeah. eat lunch. Like, 
this is now part of your life and this is part of your job and you're going to set aside an hour a week. And if that's something you can't do, don't do it because then you're going to do what everybody else does. Yeah. And I think, I think it's important to adjust. So like we've, yeah. we've adjusted and you got to pivot and, but like commit to the concept, like totally look yourself yeah. in the mirror and say, yeah, I gave it my all. And if it doesn't work, that's fine. I think failures is like, it's not a bad thing. Just yeah. being able to, how do you get there? Great, great point. Right. I mean, it's, it's, and that is part of why you're successful, Sean, is because you can accept that, like, what is failure in this case? Is it not being the biggest, you know, dispatching, you know, a bidding, field ticketing, operator, supplier company in the world? Yeah. I mean, if that's failure, that's failure. But you know what? Like, you've already succeeded in a lot of people's eyes. So it's important for you to remind yourself that and just, not not rest on your laurels, but keep going with with what you yeah. got. You're you're setting a good example for for young entrepreneurs. Sean, before we jump, where can people find you? Where can they find Iron Sight? Like the yeah. LinkedIn, social, yeah, LinkedIn website, all that. Yeah, LinkedIn is. We're trying to be much a bit more active. Show the value prop. So you know, it's uh, go type in Iron Sight. Iron Sight is I R O N S I G H T. So Iron Sight. And then website, yeah, yeah, it's a great avenue. You'll be able to get us into and connect with us. So Ironsight, I-R-O-N-S-I-G-H-T dot app dot A-P-P. Uh, and if anybody owns Ironsight.com, the guy, he's, uh, we've been trying to negotiate with him forever. So <laughs> Ironsight dot app is where you can go find us. As your company becomes more and more valuable, that that price point for getting Ironsight.com. He knows it. There's a, yeah. there's a construction guy in Missouri that we're, yeah. That he's sitting on his best uh, asset right now. That's hilarious. And, and yeah. you personally, Sean Martins, you're on LinkedIn. You're out there. People can find you. Yeah. Yeah. Sean Martins. Uh, Martins is M-A-R-T-E-N-S. Yeah. Awesome. Well, for everybody listening on What the Funk, this is Sean Martins. He's a beast doing great things with, with Ironsight. That's I-R-O-N-S-I-G-H-T dot app. App. You should check them out. They're doing great work in various different basins in the U.S. And Sean, we greatly appreciate your time, my man. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Jeremy, for having me.